me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 12. In Daniel's final revelation, which is recorded in chapters 10 to 12, an angel tells Daniel what will happen to Israel in the future. And chapter 11 really contains the heart of that revelation. In verses 2 to 35, he describes to Daniel what will happen in the next 475 years, down to about 163 B.C. And if you were with us going through that passage, you know that it was one oppression after another for Israel. In verse 36 of chapter 11, he jumps to the end time. And in those final verses of chapter 11, he describes the world conditions in the last times. We're told about the final world leader, the final world religion, and the final world war. And I'm sure as Daniel is listening, listening to this unfold, he's asking the question, well, what's going to happen to Israel? And in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, he's given the answer to that question. And the answer is, you ain't seen nothing yet. Israel's greatest oppression is yet to come. Israel's history is like a tunnel that keeps getting darker and darker. And the final chapter in Israel's history is going to be the darkest of all. But also in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we find that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And that light far exceeds anything Daniel might have anticipated. So in the midst of the worst of times, Israel will experience the best of times. In the midst of her darkest hour, Israel will see her brightest day. And in the midst of her lowest point of despair, Israel will find her highest point of hope. Chapter 12 begins with the words, Now at that time. At what time? At the time described in verses 36 to 45. We're told specifically in verse 40 of chapter 11 that it's the end time. It's the time of the Antichrist when verse 36 says he will desecrate the temple and set himself up as God. It's when verse 45 says he pitches his tent in the beautiful holy mountain. It's when all the armies of the world gather together for the battle of Armageddon. At that time, we're told in the first three verses of chapter 12, Israel can look for five things to happen. A great distress, a great defender, a great deliverance, a great destiny, and a great dividend. First of all, a great distress. Notice the middle phrase of verse 1 of chapter 12. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Last weekend, I was at a retreat and I heard a nine-year-old play his trumpet. And he was pretty good but his choice of songs amused me because he played the song, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. And I wondered if he really knew what trouble was. Well, Israel can sing that song because nobody knows the trouble they've seen. They have suffered much at the hands of the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. They have suffered from Pharaoh to Nebuchadnezzar, from Alexander the Great to... Antiochus Epiphanes, from Herod to Hitler. But as bad as all of that was in the past, they have a future suffering that is going to far exceed that. When's that going to happen? Well, if you remember back in chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, there 
Israel's future was laid out and Daniel was told that there were 70 weeks of years left in Israel's future until the kingdom. 490 years. And 69 of those weeks have been fulfilled up to the coming of Christ and His crucifixion. And so there's one more week of years for Israel. One more week of years, seven years that the Scripture refers to as the tribulation. And verse 27 of chapter 9 tells us that at the middle of that week, the Antichrist is going to break his covenant with Israel. He's going to put a stop to the sacrifices in the temple, and he's going to desecrate the temple in the most abominable activity imaginable. We're told what that activity is in chapter 11 in verse 36. The Antichrist is going to set himself up as God in the temple at Jerusalem. And chapter 12, verse 1 says, It is at that time that Israel will experience her worst distress ever. The last half of Israel's 70th week, that three and a half year period known as the Great Tribulation, is going to be the worst time in Israel's history. Now I want to show you this morning what Jesus said about that. Look at Matthew chapter 24 for just a moment. Matthew 24 and verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. In other words, Matthew, as he writes this, Jesus' word says, now I want you to understand, I have, don't have time to explain it, I want you to study Daniel so you know what I'm talking about. Jesus said, when you see the Antichrist standing in the temple at Jerusalem, declaring that he is God, what? Verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. When you see that happen, he says, flee. Now, this is not a warning to the church because the church will be gone when this happens. Who is this a warning to? Well, it's a warning to those who are in Judea. Who's that? That's the Jews. And notice what he says in verse 17. He says, if you're on the housetop, don't go get your things out of the house. Verse 18, if you're out in the field, don't go get your coat. But woe, verse 19, to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Pray that it doesn't happen on a Sabbath day. Now, who would have to worry about a Sabbath day? The Jews. This is a message to the Jews. And notice what he says in verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. There will be a great tribulation. And what's he say? He says the same thing the angel says to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12. It'll be the worst you've ever seen. Listen to the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 30 verse 7. He says, Alas, for that day is great, there is none like it, and it is the time of Jacob's distress. Who is Jacob? Jacob is the grandson of Abraham who wrestled with God in Genesis 32, and God changed his name to Israel. And so this is the time of Israel's distress. And what does Jeremiah say about it? Same thing the angel said to Daniel in Daniel 12, the same thing Jesus said in Matthew 24, there will be no other day like it. Joel speaks about this day in Joel 2.2. He refers to it as the day of the Lord. Here's how he describes it. 
It will be a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it. You say, well, what is it that's going to make that day worse than any other day in Israel's history? Well, for the commentary on that, you only have to read Revelation 6 to 19 because it describes those days. And I read through those chapters this week and I just marked down some of the things that are going to happen in that day. Let me just list them for you. First thing is that peace is going to be taken from the earth. There will be war everywhere. You won't be able to take a vacation in that day because everywhere you go will be a war zone. Second thing is famine. The Bible says that a man will have to work an eight-hour day Take that pay, and that pay will be the pay necessary to buy a loaf of bread. The famine will be so bad. And as a result of the war and the famine, we're told that 25% of the earth's population will be killed. The next thing that happens is it says there will be a great earthquake and a great skyquake so that the sun will become black, the moon will become like blood, and the stars will fall like fruit from a tree in a windstorm. Then hail and fire will fall on the earth so that a third of the earth will be burned up. A third of the sea will turn to blood and a third of its creatures will die. A third of the fresh water will be destroyed and great multitudes who drink it. A third of the stars will go out. And then it says, scorpion-like demons will be released from the bottomless pit to torment men for five months. And so painful will be their sting that men will desire death but won't be able to find it. And then the next thing it talks about is a 200 million army of demons breathing fire and brimstone who will kill another third of mankind. People that will then be stricken with loathsome, malignant sores. The entire sea will become blood and everything in it will die. All the rivers and streams will become blood. The sun will scorch people with fierce heat and then there will be darkness that covers the earth. And the Bible says in that darkness, men will gnaw their tongues because of pain. And meanwhile, Satan will be in full control of the earth. And the Bible says in John 8:44 that he is a murderer from the beginning. And so it doesn't surprise us that the Antichrist in that day will be killing people and persecuting Israel. And the last world war will develop. And the Bible says in Revelation 14:14. 14, 14, that there will be so much blood shed on the earth that the blood will flow from Jerusalem up to the horse's bridles for 200 miles. Zechariah 13.8 says that two-thirds of Israel will be killed. Now, the population of Israel today is an estimated 15 million, and so that means 10 million Jews will be killed in that day. So there will be a time of distress such as Israel has never seen but there will also be a great defender. Look again at Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. Now Michael is the angel of God that we know the most about. He's called the archangel in Jude 9. Archangel means chief angel, which may mean that he is the highest ranked of all the angels. However, in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13, he's called one of the chief princes. And so there may be several angels that actually hold that title. Here we're told that Michael has a special assignment. 
Verse 1 says, He is the prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. Back in chapter 10 and verse 21, he simply called Michael your prince. He is the angel assigned to watch over Israel. And that's a tough job. I'm sure at times he wished God had given him Madagascar. He's got the responsibility to watch over the children of Israel. In Jude chapter 9, we read about Michael. He's fighting with Satan over what? Over the body of Moses. And who is Moses? He was the leader of the children of Israel. And so Michael was carrying out his responsibility on that occasion. He was watching over Israel. And at the great time, at the end, the great tribulation, Satan is going to release all the forces of hell against Israel. He's going to try to obliterate Israel. And we're told here in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 that Michael will arise. He's going to arise to defend Israel. Let me show you how he's going to do that. Look at Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 1 says, And a great sign appeared in heaven... A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. John sees a sign. This is symbolic language. He sees a woman. Now, who is this woman? She's a woman who's pregnant. Who is this? Well, look down at verse 5. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule over all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Who is the child? The child is Jesus. So in this symbolic picture that John sees, this woman is Israel. God gave his son through the people of Israel. And so the woman is Israel. Now he sees another sign in verse 3. He says, And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Who's that? That's Satan. And when he fell out of heaven, he took a third of the stars, a third of the angels with him. Now look at the rest of verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Satan was there when when Jesus was born. What was his purpose? To devour him. Remember what Herod did when Jesus was born? He ordered that all the children in and around Bethlehem be put to death, trying to kill Jesus. But he was not successful. And verse 5 says at the end... Uh, this child was caught up to God and to his throne. And so, because he was not successful in getting the child, Satan goes after the mother. He is the ultimate anti-Semitic. But I want you to notice verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. God protects Israel for 1,260 days. How long is 1,260 days? Three and a half years. And how does he protect her? Look at verse 7. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. How is Israel defended in that day? There's a war in heaven. Satan against God's army. And who is directing God's army? Michael. 
the one who watches over Israel. He defeats Satan and casts him down to the earth. And verse 12 of chapter 12 says, watch out earth, because now he's on the earth and he's mad and he knows he doesn't have much time left. But what I want you to see there is that Israel has a great defender. Now come back to Daniel chapter 12. Third point, Israel has a great deliverance. Notice the end of verse 1. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Out of Israel's greatest distress, she will experience her greatest deliverance. Now, we saw some of that deliverance in Revelation chapter 12, where God protected them for three and a half years. And if you read chapter 12 of Revelation, you'll find that in verse 6, God nourished Israel for three and a half years. We find in verse 14 that he gave Israel the wings of an eagle so that they could fly away to get away from the enemy. And in verses 15 and 16, it says Satan is going to try to use a flood to kill Israel and the earth is going to open up and suck up the water so that it won't happen. So God's going to be protecting them physically. But that's not the only thing he's going to do. Because if you read Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, it says this about the children of Israel. It says, they did not love their life even to death. Many in Israel in that day will be martyred. Now, how do people who get beheaded get delivered? Well, they get delivered spiritually. They get the kind of deliverance that God has desired for Israel ever since her inception. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, here's what it says about Israel. It says, And they overcame him, Satan, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. In that day, the Jewish nation will be testifying for Christ and they will be depending upon the blood of Christ for their cleansing and their victory. Now, that sounds like salvation to me. God predicted that would happen earlier. In the verse that I quoted in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7, here's what it says. Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. And it is a time of Jacob's distress. You know what the next line says? But he will be saved from it. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, we read this. It says, a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. During this parenthesis in which we live, the, the period that's called a mystery in the New Testament, during this period between the 69th week of Israel and the 70th week, we're told that Israel has experienced a partial hardening, which means that most in Israel are hardened to the gospel. But that's only going to happen until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When's that? That's when the parenthesis is over. That's when the times of privilege for the Gentiles are up. And that happens at what we call the rapture when the church is taken out of this world. Then God's going to return to his dealings with Israel and their 70th week. And you know what's going to happen during that time? Here's what the next verse says in Romans chapter 11. It says, And then all Israel will be saved. They are hardened now, but then they will be saved. When their persecution is the worst, then their redemption will take place. You say, well, how's God going to do that? I mean, how's God going to save an entire nation? 
Well, he describes it for us in Zechariah 13, 8. Listen to what it says. It says, And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. Two-thirds of Israel is going to be killed during that time. But here's what it says about that last third. It says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. God is going to deliver Israel in that day of the great tribulation by spiritual salvation. They are going to be born again. And that's what the angel is talking about in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 because if you'll notice, he qualifies it by saying, it is everyone who is found written in the book. What book? The book of life. The, the book Moses spoke about in, Ezekiel, or in Exodus 32, 32 when he said to God, if you won't forgive the children of Israel, then blot me out of the book you have written. He's not talking about the Bible. He's saying, don't put me in the Bible. He's saying, blot me out of the book you have written. The book that includes the names of all the redeemed. The book of life. It's referred to in Psalm 69, in Revelation 3, 13, 17, 20, 21. Jesus referred to it in Luke 10, 20 when he said, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Where are they recorded? In the book of life. You see, that's the kind of deliverance spoken about here in Daniel 12, 1. Eternal salvation. And that explains why in Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 14, the 144,000 witnesses in the time of the Great Tribulation are Israelites. 12,000 from every tribe in Israel. Not only will they be saved during that time, but they will become missionaries to the world. Fourth thing we find out about Israel during that time is that they have a great destiny. Notice verse 2 of chapter 12. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Some Bible teachers say that the Jews in the Old Testament had no concept of resurrection, but they did. Remember when Abraham offered his son Isaac on the altar? You know why he did that? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 says he did it because he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. Job, in probably the oldest book in the Old Testament, said this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Listen to Isaiah's words in Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead will live their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. Resurrection is taught throughout the scriptures. And here the angel says to Daniel in chapter 12, verse 2, those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. The climax of the tribulation is the resurrection. And after 14 chapters of the worst imaginable disasters and persecutions, Here's what we read in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. John says, I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given to them and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and they will come to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years. The great distress will be followed by a great destiny. 
But if you'll notice verse 2, the angel talks about two groups that will be resurrected. These to everlasting life, others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There are two parts to the resurrection. And that's defined clearly in Revelation chapter 20. And I just want you to look over there for a brief moment. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 4. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's one resurrection. Verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. That's the second resurrection. Then he says at the end of verse 5, this, verse 4, is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. First resurrection has really three phases. One is Christ. He is the first fruits. And along with him, those who were raised at his crucifixion who came out of the tomb. Second phase of the first resurrection is the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the, Christ, the time when Christ comes back and says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And that happens before the tribulation. The last phase of the first resurrection is after the tribulation. It's described here in Revelation chapter 20. It is the tribulation saints along with probably the Old Testament saints at the end of the tribulation. Second resurrection happens a thousand years later after the millennial reign of Christ and it includes only unbelievers. And for that, slide down in chapter 20 to verse 11. He says, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. First resurrection, these people are raised to life. Second resurrection are unbelievers. They are raised, and they're still called the dead. Look at verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's what is described in Daniel chapter 12 as a resurrection to disgrace and everlasting contempt. But to those who are delivered in Daniel 12:1, he says, you get to look forward to a resurrection to everlasting life. First time that phrase is used in the Bible. And it's a great phrase. It's a great destiny to be raised again to everlasting life. Which brings us to the final point, and that is a great dividend. Verse 3 of chapter 12. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven... And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. After the resurrection comes the reward. And he talks about those who have insight. Who's that? Those are the believers. And what will they receive? He says they will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 13, 43. He said, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Now, what's that mean? What's it mean to be shining like the sun or shining like a star. What's that all about? Well, what are the heavens doing? Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And what is your highest purpose as a Christian? Your highest purpose is to glorify God. 
So what is our reward? Our reward is to have a greater capacity to glorify God. In eternity, we will be rewarded with the capacity to radiate the glory of God. Now, when I talk to Christians about rewards, most of us think about having a mansion up in heaven. And every time we do something to please God, he adds a room on our mansion. And the problem with that is it's because we tend to think selfishly. We think about rewards as something for me. But you see, in heaven, there'll be no sin. There'll be no selfishness. So what will be your highest desire there? Your highest desire there will be what your highest desire ought to be here, and that is to bring glory to God. See, the New Testament talks about rewards in terms of crowns. I used to not even like hats, but now that I'm bald, I wear hats more, but the crown doesn't sound so bad. You know what we're going to do with those crowns? Revelation chapter 4 says the elders are going to be up there with their crown. They're going to take their crown and they're going to cast it at the feet of the Lord Jesus. What's the crown for? It's to bring him glory. The crown is what I do for him here that I will be able to take into eternity and bring him glory forever. You see, the same is true of the stars. When you look up at the stars, some are big, some are small, some look bright, some look dim. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 41 tells us that. It says, There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. We will all shine, but there are some who will shine brighter than others. And who are those? Daniel 12, 3 tells us it, are the, it is those who lead the many to righteousness. Those who will bring the most glory to God throughout eternity are those who have influenced others to faith. And Israel is going to do that in the tribulation. If you read Revelation chapter 7, it talks about the 144,000 witnesses, all Jewish evangelists. And then it says in verse 9, there was a great multitude that nobody could count from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. And they were all dressed in white because they had washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And who are those people? They are Gentiles in the time of the tribu tribulation who will be reached through the witness of the believing Jews. And those Jews who accomplish that, who lead the many to righteousness, will shine throughout eternity. That same principle applies to us. When we think about stars today, who, who do we think about? We think about athletes. We think about celebrities. We think about entertainers. We, we think about somebody with a star on Hollywood Boulevard. Who are the stars in God's kingdom? Well, they are those who lead many to righteousness. Jesus said an interesting thing about John the Baptist. He said, of all that have been born of women... John the Baptist is the greatest. Now, what made him the greatest? Did he have a star on Hollywood Boulevard? No. In fact, he was an outcast from society. What made him the greatest? Listen to what the angel said to his father in Luke chapter 1. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Listen. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. What made John great? He led many to the Lord. And there are present-day stars as well. These parents that stood on the stage earlier 
who fulfill their commitment to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord are stars because they are leading their children to righteousness. Those Sunday school teachers that we are honoring today who faithfully week after week prepare themselves to teach God's truth to our children are stars because they are leading our children to righteousness. And you can be a star too by going tomorrow morning to your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, and sharing the message of salvation with others. How brightly will you shine in eternity? It's being determined by how brightly you are shining forth the glory of God right now in reaching out to others and bringing them to Christ. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good deeds and will glorify your Father who is in heaven.